podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Jones! Bowden! He's got it! England have won the World Cup by the barest of margins! Stokes flashes it away through the covers for four and England have won the match! Hello, welcome to the Analyst Inside Cricket, and we're knee-deep in both a heatwave, most of the country anyway, and also the 100. The the 100, which is much maligned, actually. It's a bit of a polarising tournament. People seem to love it or hate it. Um, I don't know what you feel uh, listening to this, but we're going to try and explore it in a bit of detail, both with Simon Mann, who's sort of ambivalent about it, I think, and also with an expert and an expert in the field of data. And actually, we've had this guy on on our show before, and it was one of the most popular and successful shows we've done, actually. So welcome to Dan Weston for the second time, who is an absolute data specialist in cricket world, uh, runs his own SAA Advantage Analytics company, does blogging on Substack, and also works for a couple of franchises, the Birmingham Phoenix in the 100 and also the Punjab Kings in the IPL, and is hoping to get to get more contracts in the future too. Actually, Dan, b- before we sort of get into the detail of this and how much dependency there is on data, just tell us what's happened to you since, I suppose, the last time you were on, when you were hoping to become an analyst for a team. Yeah, so thanks for having me on, Simon. Um, I think it's been about four years, must be about four years since we, were, we last chatted on this. Um, a lot has happened. I mean, I think when I first started, I, I started off as, with this mission to be a bit of a data-driven disruptor, if you like, uh, someone who's pretty fairly willing to, to put their head above the parapet and, and, and maybe try and challenge a lot of conventional wisdom. And and to some extent, I'm still a bit like that, but but I kind of probably mellowed a little bit in that in that respect. And now I, I feel like I've hit quite a happy medium of of working when I'm working with the teams is providing data, a lot of insights, but also sort of cooperating with the coaches and understanding their their points of view and actually kind of using the two methodologies a lot of the time, perhaps the, the data driven insights and, and a coach's experience or the eye test. There's almost like they shouldn't they're not they're not enemies. They're actually things that can go go really well with each other complement each other as it's like a double tick if you like in, in in a lot of ways so so working with teams has given me a lot more experience with that and I think when you're regardless of which team you're working for you're always going to be rubbing shoulders and spending time with with great coaches ex-players etc and you can't fail to learn from from people like that how much have you been accepted by the coaches and the players Dan that's a great question. Um, I think to some degree it's a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy because the teams that I work with have obviously got coaches who are open to this type of thing, whereas obviously the teams who I haven't worked with probably may not be so open to it. But the coaches that I've worked with on the whole have been have been really, really good. Uh, players-wise, I think the answer is it depends. Some of the perhaps the more experienced players may be a bit bit more reticent about about this type of thing, but... Uh, I've also had some great conversations with older players as well. Uh, younger players do tend to like it. I've had a lot of players come to me and say, look, what am I doing well? What am I doing badly? And it's a really honest conversation that we've had. And I think that, that if you can word it correctly as well as particular, 
you you can really improve a player and help them evolve and 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 take their game to the next level as well. So, I I really welcome it. I love it when a young player in particular comes to me and says, you know, what what can we work on? And, and what what they're talking about or the, what they're asking about is is purely data. Are they? They're not telling. They're not asking you, do I need to dip to grip my bottom hand a bit tighter or open the face a bit more? You know, to the left arm spinner. They're actually looking at the stats. Can can you give us an example? It doesn't have to name the name the player, but. Um, I was speaking to someone the other day about how good his T20 bowling is when he hits a good length. And he didn't actually know that. And it, so it was really pleasing to be able to to give him that really positive feedback and, and sort of con- a constructive advice to maybe change his lengths a little bit and, and, be, and he could be very, very successful doing that. Um, th- there's, there's a lot of examples of that. Uh, fielding positions as well. So, for example, I've got a benchmark figure for how often the average right-hander will hit through a 45-degree segment of the ground. So if a player is leaking runs through a certain area on a, on a regular basis or much more than those benchmarks, then you can you can look to try and resolve those issues as well, that, that type of thing. That's because he needs a, a better field at backward point, maybe. No, I mean, that's, that's a bit facetious. So, you know, it, it, to give us a little bit of a lowdown on, let's say, you know, you're about to... Uh, help the Birmingham Phoenix play against the Southern Brave, which of course is the repeat of last year's final in the 100. That was a very exciting game, actually, which of course the Southern Brave won in the end. So your opposition tomorrow are pretty fearsome. What is the process? The game starts at, what, 6.30. So what's your day holding store leading up to the match itself? Well, generally speaking, on, on the day of a game, you, you won't necessarily have a lot to do because hopefully we've done all the prep in advance. So, so but, but there'll be a lot of work that goes into a game, regardless of the teams that I'm working for, whether it's Birmingham or, or, or other teams. It, there'll be a lot of prep. I'll do a pack before a match, but that's that's not unusual. That's a very, very commonplace thing in this industry. You'll be doing opposition scouting, understanding their strengths and weaknesses and ultimately looking to exploit their weaknesses and uh, negate their strengths in, in whatever way you can. Um, we talk about a pack there. So do you mean a pack of uh, a pack of data, different sheets? With I mean, I've seen the ones that the, the analysts use in, say, the IPL, and it's a picture of a batsman, say, that's in the opposition, and it might be a beehive from Hawkeye sort of superimposed on that batsman at the crease with... Uh, their strike rate at certain points when the ball passes the bat and therefore hot zones to uh, focus on and other zones to avoid. So is it things like that with little tips for, for where to bowl at a particular player? Yeah, absolutely. And and, and, and also some of the best packs that you see around uh, with some teams as well is is they'll do interactive video as well. So the players can then download the packs onto their phones and um watch video of the sort of if they're a bowler they can look at the batter's dismissals or dots or boundaries or whatever they want to whatever rabbit hole they want to go down basically they can go and do that so i think from from my perspective it's all about enabling the coaching staff and the players to to try and make the best decisions in the game but which obviously is is down to them so it's always advice it's never really you must do this or you must do that it's this is what the data is telling us is 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 a good plan um, and it's up to you how you want to execute that. The idea of a pack sounds quite intimidating. It sounds like quite a lot of data, you know, pack. Or a bunch so of wolves. How, how much do the players, or how much can they take on board, or how much do you expect them to take on board? I mean, are you talking uh, you know, two or three 
key points or are you expecting them to take on a bit more than that you know there might be five or six points and actually it strikes me that when you get if you do get to that level that you you you, you know there's a, the, the danger of perhaps overloading a player so so i think most of the time you'll be maybe four to six bullet points on a on a batter for example that's pretty normal throughout the industry um and then but then there's nothing which is compelling the player to actually watch the videos or, or, or read the packs themselves. It's not, it's not like football, I think, where you know, a, a, a head coach can give a, a, a squad a document to read to, for set-piece practice or whatever, and they, can, they will know if the player's opened it and read it. It's not like that. It's, it really is down to the player to prepare themselves best, and if they feel that, that they can prepare themselves best by not looking at this, then that's... That's fine as obviously as long as they play well on the pitch and and because obviously every, every player is accountable for their performance ultimately. Do, do you sense though from the way they play and the way they've reacted to a particular opponent that they have read it or they haven't read it? Sometimes. <laughs> yeah, it, it can happen. Um, sometimes you might think, oh, he's clearly ignored that or something like that. But but ultimately, like I said, it's down to the player, and if if they can come up with a, a reason as to why that they've done something and. And and that's that's down to them. So that that's fascinating because, as as the sort of analyst, you, like where so where do you sit then between player and coach? Because you could say to the coach, well, you know, in in debrief meetings, well, you know, I did tell him, um, but he clearly didn't take on board. And, and do you then sort of get the coach involved and the coach say, well, go to the player and say, you know, Dan gave you this information, you didn't use it. Could you explain why you didn't use it? Um, I'm not really keen on going down that road to be honest, Simon. Um, the, I, I think that if it was a long-term problem, then something might might happen. But on a one-off or, one-off or semi-regular basis, it wouldn't be a major problem. So I'm, I'm quite careful not to force what I do on any player. So any player's got to be be very willing to to listen and and to take things on board so i probably i, I haven't really seen an instance of that really mm-hmm. and, the, and the coaches are they are they are they sort of hungry for this i mean i, knew, I know you said that if if a play, if you're the fact you're employed by a particular team suggests that they are open-minded etc and are they say do that are they say right dan what what have you got for me today you know what 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 what, what can we do today Give, give me something. Yeah, no, that happens a lot. So, you know, you might get a, a few WhatsApps through a day and say, look, what about this? What do you think about this idea? Can you give me some stats or evidence as to why this might be a good idea or a bad idea? And that might be a strategy thing. It might be a recruitment thing or, or, or whatever it might be. It depends on depends on what we need to sort out at that particular time of the season or, or, or ahead of a match. But, no, that happens a lot. And I, I like that. I, 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 I prefer the coaches that constantly engage you. And and luckily, I'm I'm fortunate enough to to work with quite a few at the moment. So that's that's really good. How many teams are doing this? Can can you give us an idea? Are we talking about? Are we talking? You know, every hundred team. Are we talking about every IPL team? Are we talking about every T Twenty team? Every county championship team? Every international team? Or do you sense that some are are, are more driven by uh, data than others? I think it's quite nuanced. So. For example, in county cricket, all 18 counties will have an analyst. But whether they're an analyst who actually really has any input, apart from coding and processing video, is is certainly debatable. As far as I'm aware, I'm the only analyst in the country who really specialises in recruitment. So so that's definitely a rarity. Um, I, didn't, I, I did obviously the IPL auction in, in February and I didn't see much evidence of many other 
uh, recruitment analyst there. There was there was um, some quick risk presence there. Apart from that, I didn't really see a great deal. So I would say that some teams view well. Every team will have an analyst, but I think a lot of them will view it as a tick box exercise a lot of the time, and they won't really come up with any meaningful strategy changes to the head coach or or, or, or really influence the results in any way, shape, or form, or, or recruitment, or future planning, or whatever it might be. It, it's it's more coding and video and and i think this is where the industry has to evolve a little bit because i i understand that that this is almost like a template that comes through for analysts is that they have to do this coding and the video and stuff and i think that from speaking to a lot of other analysts perhaps as they come through the, the system if you like they're not encouraged to have independent thought whereas i've come from a more of an unconventional background and I've relied on independent thought, and that that's, I guess, my USP to some degree. Is it um, also a question where you're different in, in that you you tend to look quite far back at players? Uh, you're also uh, sort of their youth performances and things, uh, and so that you get a good picture of their their transitions, their evolutions, and you can use the past to predict the future kind of thing. Yeah, and and, and I've always said Simon this is it's never it's not perfect. It's not it's not an exact science, but the past is a very good indicator of future performance, particularly if you understand age curve analysis and things like that. So using players performance say when they're 19 or 20 to try and understand what level they might be at when they're 25 for example is 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 a really useful tool. So for example, if a player's outperforming the current England players at a young age when the England players were at that age, if that, if that makes sense, then that's a real positive and you're almost on a kind of shot to nothing really with those type of players because the odds are that they're going to develop into a really nice player and, and at worst be you know a good county player or something, for example. So what you mean is that you, you might have seen, say, Joe Root... Uh, playing for England under-19s, averaging 43, and you knew that Alistair Cook, when he played for England under-19s, averaged only 38 or something, and you, you see what Alistair Cook achieved, so you can sort of almost say, well, Joe Root could achieve even more kind of thing. That's a sort of hypothetical example. Yeah, um, so, for example, for T20 or the 100, you might say, okay, well, Jason Roy, Alex Hales... Owen Morgan, Josh Butler, Johnny Bairstow, Joe Root, they all, they, their numbers when they were 21 were X, X, Y, Z, etc. And then if you could find someone who's markedly better than that at the same age, then that makes sense, that logical sense that with average pro- career progression, they're going to be a, a very good player. Apart from me, because I, <laughs> I, I think when I, my first couple of years, you know, when I was only 20, I, I think I averaged something like, 16 per wicket in the county championship and as as opposed to most bowlers who get better with age i got worse <laughs> anyway there we are it's another story that's that's while we're on the subject of of young players actually and it's it's become a, a, a sort of just a minor obsession of mine Tri- what, what do you make of tristan Stubbs? what what have you have you got any statage on him um well yeah go on so um i was tipped off about him a while back by a South African analyst. Um, so having, as, as I've evolved, since, probably since we last spoke, I've built up a good contact list around the world and, and, I, and I do tend to get tip-offs about high-profile high, high, 
profile or high potential talent, I should say, from, from a young age. So I knew about Tristan last year, and uh, he was he's someone who I, I can see from lower level stats in in South Africa was was very very six hitting orientated, which is is obviously kind of how he's developed in in time, and and obviously very high intent, high power. Um, so it was obviously seeing, seeing those stats from a, a lower level that that there was a skill set there for sure. So yeah, so so I don't. What does what does that mean for the future? Is it is it too is too difficult to say from here? Is it? Yeah. So someone asked me this question actually about him a couple of weeks ago, and for me, what I want to see now is probably a two hundred and fifty ball sample of him against what I call franchise level bowlers or international level bowlers and then i'll be able to have a a stronger view about about how good he could be i can i can see that i mean i I was fascinated by his innings at bristol it was flat the boundaries were short the bowling wasn't you know it was okay but what what you know what's what's he going to be like when he comes up against uh, top class spinners in the ipl for example or top class overseas fast bowlers in the IPL, whatever you know we'll we'll, we'll go from there but um yeah it's, it's one of those careers that you think yeah it's interesting i see, see how this guy is going to develop let's just talk about the the ipl auction because you were you were involved in in recruitment what so could are you able could you talk a little bit more about that what what you're able to say about what you what you tried to do for the punjab kings so it was a really thorough process, actually. So for, I must have been about four weeks working remotely in England, uh, regular Zoom calls with the management uh, at Punjab. And then I went over for the auction for for a couple of weeks, had to do a spell in isolation prior to the tournament because there was a bubble. And uh, again, we were working very, very hard planning, doing mock auctions and, th- and things like that. Uh, and, and just generally being... You know, making sure that we didn't leave anything to chance, and it was quite strange actually because I walked into the the auction room and it obviously something I've watched on TV a number of times in the past, and I didn't feel nervous because I felt that I couldn't genuinely couldn't have prepared any better for for the for the actual event. So I was I was pretty confident we'd assemble a good team as long as we kind of kept to the script, which you can never really uh, guarantee in the IPL auction for any team, I don't think. Uh, and, and there are a lot of ifs, buts, and maybes. So, you know, sometimes you might have a limit for a particular player and that gets exceeded. And then the implications of that is that you've got to then spend more on a different player but who has a similar skill set or something like that. So there's you, you can never really go in with fixed plans. You've got to have a, a, a rough idea about what you want to do and then it sort of stems off on a decision tree branch from there kind of thing. How close did you get to what you wanted? Or yeah, very actually. Um, I think I think we executed our plans pretty well. Um, if you if you look at the number of bids that we put in for players, it was lower than most other teams, if not all of the other teams. So it showed that we were very very clear with our thinking and our planning in terms of if we wanted a player, we identified a particular player. We 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 would do do a lot to try and get that player. Uh, I know that there were some other teams who maybe put like three times as many bids in for different players as, as we did. So they were maybe a bit more sort of haphazard, whereas whereas I felt that we had a lot of clear plans. And I think on the whole, we executed them really well. There's probably, I don't think you can ever leave an auction room and say, oh, without saying, I wish I'd done this or I wish I'd done that and maybe gone one more bid for this player or something like that. But 
I think on the whole, we walked away from that really satisfied. So the auction went well. You felt the auction went well. How did the the, the, the team performing on the pitch compare to how the auction went and in terms of your expectation of how it was going to go? Um, it's a great question because obviously I was, after the auction, I flew back to England and I didn't go back out to India for the actual tournament. So if you if you read my Twitter timeline, there's probably people, a lot of people actually think that I'm somehow was actually there, but no one could see me on TV or something like that. And I didn't, I didn't really have a lot of input into the the tournament subsequently. Um, now, I think we were unfortunate in terms of a few fine margins going against us. So we lost a lot of tosses to start with, and in in the subcontinent, that's very very important with the G factor. Uh, and also, I think there there was one game where. Tawatia hit two sixes off the last two balls when they had 12 to win off two balls. You know, that's statistically a very unlikely occurrence. So, and that, that game ultimately cost us the qualification. If we won one more game, we would have, we would have been in the top four. One, one thing that I, regardless of any results, is that I was so pleased because I got a lot of really nice positive messages from, from Punjab fans saying that they felt that the team had a really nice, clear identity this year, something that they could resonate with. So, uh, uh, as people who know me might realise, I'm quite strong on, on building an attacking boundary-hitting team. Um, ultimately, we're talking about stats, around 87% of T20 matches are won by the team with a higher boundary percentage in the match. So it makes sense to try and recruit players who, who can facilitate that. Obviously, there's... It's a two-way street because you've got to find good boundary preventers with the ball as well. But 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 that's that's a clear identity that I try and create, and and I think it's a good identity. I think the fans enjoy it. It, it makes it's a very watchable brand, and you know, being really honest with you, there are some teams playing T Twenty around the world, and if I didn't have a free subscription to satellite TV, I wouldn't pay to watch them. Whereas I think that everyone enjoyed watching Punjab Kings and, and ultimately Birmingham Phoenix last summer as well because of the style of play that we, we we had it was a very clear identity a clear brand that we were trying to brand of cricket we were trying to achieve and and I, and I think we've really succeeded in that regardless of any results well actually uh, you I, I back that up because I remember being at the final and we were in uh, in the mound stand and Mark Nicholas and I and Mark was on our show last week actually we were saying that there was a spell of cricket in that final when George Gartman and Tim L. Mills were bowling at Liam Livingston and Moen Alley. And it was electric. It was just brilliant. I mean, the ball was flying through 100 miles an hour. The batsmen were swishing wildly at the ball and hitting some and missing others. And the keeper was taking it above his head. And the fielders were diving all over the place. The score was whirring up. And, I mean, it was just, it, it was just staggering to watch. But it's interesting to hear you also say in a way that the Punjab Kings got scuppered a couple of times by you know people hitting sixes off the last couple of balls, which shows that data isn't always king. So how what, what happens when it doesn't go right? You know, when you've made these suggestions and they haven't worked out, how do you deal with that? I think that there's several approaches to that. So how 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 do I deal with that myself? I think you've got to square a lot of things off in your head before the tournament or the match starts. That if you've done your prep and 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 you're happy with how going into the match when the eleven players walk across the 
the line to go on the field, then then it's down to them after that. And I've got, I feel like I've got better at that uh, as time has evolved in terms of detaching myself from the result. The other, the other challenge in that is managing upwards, if you like, and maybe trying to keep the the people who are above you and the management, not necessarily the head coach, but I'm talking about you know owners of of a team, for example keeping them grounded by trusting the process rather than results because you do kind of get a lot of knee-jerk reactions in, in that respect. So you, as long as they understand that it's a process-driven thing. And, you know, if you, look, if you go through the last decade of T20 teams, you'll find that very few, if any, can win over 60% of matches on, on a long-term basis. So... I call it the 60-40 role. If you're winning 60% of matches as a, as a T20 team in a level budget league, you are doing exceptionally well. Um, I think it's a bit different for international cricket because there's big budget and player pool disparities. But but in a in a, in a a franchise league with level budgets, that's a great benchmark. But ultimately, that still means that you're going to lose 40% of the time. Why is that, actually? I mean, why... why... Why isn't it higher? Why isn't why isn't one team more dominant? I think it's because of the the variance. So you you mentioned that kind of luck element of it a few minutes ago. That variance is definitely prevalent. So for example, I'll give you I'll give you another stat. So an uncontrolled aerial shot will have an average of two and a half balls per dismissal. But there's been games that I've been involved with where the opposition have hit seven in a row for four or six, and that's a, a, effectively a thirty or forty run difference just off those shots and and so this should be i don't know seven for two or seven for three off those seven balls and they're 40 for naught and and that's a big difference and because of that 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 is the volatility of t20 the variance of the t of t20 you you might find a great match up and and suddenly the opposition take it down or you get the guy out you're planning to get out but then the guy coming in is a bad match up after that and then he takes you down or something like that there's a lot of intangibles, a lot of variables in it as well. But the way I see it is, is that if you can, if you can give a, a team a few one percenters or a few, a few more than one percenters, then then that's that's really giving them an advantage. What you do, Dan, does does it work better the shorter the game? So, uh, hundred T ten T twenty, rather than say five day cricket or four day cricket. Um, I don't think so. I, I get why people say that. Um, I've I've, ha- I've had this conversation with quite a few people. Um, I think that it w- it naturally gravitates to the shortest formats because every ball is a major event, and, and perhaps obviously T twenty is just under one percent of your resources for a match as a batting or a bowling team. Um, so that's that's important. You've got to win those, you know, small battles all the time. Whereas, but I do think that it's it's extremely applicable to, to, for example, Test cricket as well. Yes, yes, there's ninety overs a day and it's five days long, but you have to have the right strategies. You know, I've seen England, for example, they've picked Dominic Best in the, in the last couple of years against a team full of right-handers, and you 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 don't need to have detailed analytics to know that. The, the he's better against left-handers. So that's one area of selection that the that, that could, could be massively improved. And, and you know, there's been times that England have played against left-handers or four left-handers in the top six or something, and he hasn't played. So there, there, there's a lot of stuff that you can do in, in, in longer formats as well. 
And the matchups in in Test cricket, I think, is huge too. Um, you do find that spinners do have a lot of variation and bias towards bowling to specific batters, and and more often than not, I find that teams are rather un, unaware of that or unwilling to understand that. Let's let's talk about England's T Twenty team and the, and the T Twenty World Cup. Um, I, I noticed a, a tweet that you you put out after their hammering. At Southampton, and I, there's an aspect of that actually I'd like to talk about in just a moment. But you said it, it, it's an aging team. Uh, the decline was evident before Owen Morgan quit. Uh, they've got injuries, and there were curious selections and omissions. So, what, what do you think of England's T20 team at the moment? What what, what are they doing wrong then? I mean, there's certain things they can't control. I mean, injuries they can't uh, control, but they can control well your curious selections and omissions. They can control that. I, th- I think that there's it's all of the above, really, Simon. So you look at the injury injury problems to start with. I think I'm pretty certain that I'm correct in saying that it has been it hasn't happened since the 2019 World Cup that Wood, Wokes, and Archer have been in the same team. So I think that it's it's very difficult to to plan for that to be the case when there's historical evidence to say that. The, that there's a very low chance they're all going to be on the park at the same time. Recording in progress. So that's something that they've had to... They've, they should have been looking at other players. So one of my bugbears over the... I think they played 12 white ball matches in 25 days was that they pretty much picked the same team the vast majority of the time. They didn't use those matches to look at, say, a, a Will Jacks to 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 have a look at... Uh, see if he might be better than Jason Roy, for example. And, and we talk about the age dynamic of the squad. Uh, out of the 13 who played in the World Cup, only Liam Livingston and Tim R. Mills were under 30 at the time, at the time I, I wrote about that, that tweet, I think it was a couple of weeks ago. And Mills is 30 this month. So when you're constructing a roster for, for a team, you, you really need to bear in mind that age dynamic and understand that there will be a time that that group ages together and will need some significant surgery moving forward. So I equate it to a bit like the England golden generation of in football, you know, Gerard and Lampard and Rooney and Rio Ferdinand, John Terry, for example, and they all got old at the same time. And then they've had they've had to have a bit of a period of pain before the next group is becomes good enough to play international football at a high level. And I, I do think that England should be integrating players into their squad more regularly. I don't have any evidence of this, but it wouldn't surprise me. I feel sometimes that they have a bit of fear that someone who they bring in might actually be better than the person who was there to start with. So, they, and that person person might be part of the furniture, if you like. So, so that's 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 tricky sometimes. And I also think that it's difficult, and I don't think this is his fault, but I think it's difficult to have an overseas coach coming in who maybe doesn't have a a minute knowledge of the local player pool, for example. So he's probably going, right, okay, well, this is what we've got at the at the moment and we'll go with that and see how it goes. And he's giving everyone a, a decent opportunity to, to cement their place in the team. But it would have been nice to see some, some new faces. Um, regarding selections, um, I've been pretty consistent with this over the, over the years, but um, I think that England have got big problems with, with their pace bowling. In, in in T20 cricket and probably white ball cricket full stop um, I also think that 
I've pushed Benny Howell to play for a long time, and I think that he would be a, a great addition to the to the squad. Um, bats in the top seven, uh, bowls four overs in pretty much every game. So, in in a T Twenty blast, for example, his match involvement is what I call a stat. So that will be the percentage of, of in a match that a player bats and bowls. He's permanent in the game, and he's a great fielder as well. So, I don't understand why. He's not been given an opportunity. I think it's a tragedy that he hasn't, to be honest with you. So someone like, for example, Benny or, or David Willey, who might bat, 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 bat in the top that. three and bowl four overs. Yeah, Moen Ali is a great example. Liam Livingston as well. Okay, they will have a higher match involvement because they're, they're batting in key positions and they're bowling a lot as well. Whereas, for example, give me an example of the flip side. With someone like Darren Sammy at the end of his career who would bat seven or eight and not bowl anymore. So that's a very low match involvement. And so if you obviously if you've got a good player, you want them to impact the match as much as you possibly can. Uh, and so someone like Benny does that does that very well. Where, where do you stand on Jason Roy? Um I, I mean he is a player who is, you know, he's in his 30s now, but I mean he's only 32. It's not he's not that old. You think actually, you know, some players are, you know, can be at their uh, well, you tell me. Some players can be at their absolute peak at 32, but they've got that experience, they're used to the surroundings, and they've got that quality as well, and that, and that confidence from, the, you know, from having done it as well, and, you know, and, they've, and they've got a lot of ability. I, is, it, is it time to replace him? Or as Kevin Peterson says, you know, leave him alone. You know, he's, a, he's a quality player who will, who will come good again. Um, yeah, I think 32 would be a young age for, for a long-term decline to start. So... I do. I would like to think that that he's got more time to contribute positively. the The thing I've noticed with with Jason over the last couple of years is that his his six hitting intent seems to have fallen. So maybe that's an adaptation to his game that either he's decided to do or he's or has crept in. So does that impact, for example, the way that bowlers bowl against him? I don't know. Does it does it create less of a fear factor knowing that the bowler but for a bowler knowing he's not going to get hit for six whereas uh Butler or Livingston or an Alley will 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 potentially do that a lot more frequently. I don't know, I'm just coming up with kind of ideas there. But mm-hmm. but I think it's it's a it's a difficult sell at the moment to keep him in the team because there's so many good young openers in this country that there's literally a queue of maybe five or six names you could reel off and and they would be, in my opinion, considerably above average in international cricket. One thing I thought about the T20 series, you know, I mean, I don't know what, I actually don't know what the stats said on this, but what I felt, and this is this is where we talk about stats versus feeling and and the psychology, is I went, to, I was at Bristol, I was at Bristol and Cardiff, and I watched the Southampton game on the television, but I watched at Bristol, I watched a sort of joyous romp from England's batting side. They batted first, they took control of the game, they took South Africa out of the game because they were able to, well, they played with freedom because they didn't feel the pressure of the chase. Next day at Cardiff, they put the opposition in, and I thought. Okay, I I don't actually know I don't know of the, what the stats were about chasing defending at, at Cardiff, but it sent it seemed to me psychologically the the, the right thing to do was to bat first again. They had they sort of had South Africa um, for the night before. Just keep on going, keep doing that, free up. Especially after what happened against India, they batted. They decided to put South Africa in. South Africa got a decent score, scoreboard pressure, and then a few days later they had the chance to bat first again at Southampton and. They let South Africa bat first and England crumbled. They lost by 90 runs. Absolute thrashing 
massive thrashing in T20 terms. What 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 do you feel about that? Um, I feel that toss decisions can be quite scientific, but I don't think that many teams approach them from a scientific basis. You know, sometimes you might watch a game on TV and the captain's at the toss and he goes, oh, why have you chosen to bat today? And he goes, oh, well, because um, we've tried to chase for the last two games and we've lost, so we're going to have a go at batting instead. You know, that's that's just a recency bias argument that, that, that really holds no water in terms of logic or common sense. Um, for me... I think it depends where you are in the world as to whether there's a bias and also what resources you have at your disposal as a squad and what the opposition's strengths and weaknesses are. You have to factor all of those things in at, at, as one when you're making that decision. So, for example, in, in, in England, if you look at Blast, for example, there's not much of a chasing bias at all. Whereas in the UAE, it's huge because you've got the due factor and, and it's a lot easier to, to pace an innings, mm-hmm. perhaps on some of the smaller boundaries like Sharjah and, and, and Abu Dhabi as well. So so there's a massive chasing bias. Certainly in T10, there's a huge chasing bias. Mm-hmm. And I think that for the vast majority of the tournament, I think it's something like 30 tosses in a row, the team chased who won the toss. So, you know, last, last season in T10. So that is... That is, there's clear bias there, but not so much in England. And I think that some people view their experiences when they're from the subcontinent, when they're actually making a toss decision in England. If you're a spin-heavy team, sometimes it is better to bat first, particularly if the pitch is used, and then bowl a lot of spin trying to squeeze the team second. Um, also, the the opposition as well. If you if you know that they've got a high-intent team and, and, and a, but a low balls per dismissal count, for example... You might want to bat first and then try and front load your bowlers to then take early wickets and then get them to panic because their batters are more prone to playing rash shots, for example. So there's a lot of nuance involved in it, and I don't think necessarily a lot of people take that into account when they're making toss decisions. Hmm. So my 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 suggestion, my idea, my feel at Cardiff that England should have batted first. It, 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 the, the, can that come into it at all? If you say there's no, if there's no great sort of bias one way or the other about batting first or or, or bowling first, just the sort of like, I just I had the sort of sense that this was a slightly fragile England batting side, and they, and as a result of that, they could take some of the pressure off themselves by batting first and playing with some freedom batting first without the pressure of the target. So you're looking at what your resources are, and you're helping the decision-making process by considering what your your own strengths and weaknesses are as well. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's something to consider in terms of the makeup of your starting eleven. You you might want to go one way or the other. Um, you know, uh, uh, there are some grounds in England with some toss biases in T Twenty cricket. There's there's a couple where you know nine times out of ten you probably will want to bat first, but then there's also some others where 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 well the vast majority of others don't really have that bias. So. A lot of the time it also depends on whether the pitch is fresh or used or, or something like that as well. So there's a lot of factors to consider. I think some are subjective, but but a lot of them I think can be really improved by by being influenced by data. I mean, you 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 know you've said it there. A lot of data out there. Is it got to the stage where um, you're tempted now to to do like Nathan Lehman and uh, during a Birmingham Phoenix game, wave a couple of numbers at the captain in the field? Um, I'm not sure we're at that stage yet. Um, I don't mind it as an idea, though. I, I, I'm quite open to it as an idea. I, it's certainly not something that, that bothers me. And, and I can understand the logic behind it because 
ultimately, I, I don't know if you captain much, Simon, but it's 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 very difficult to be a captain. You've got to remember a lot of things well, a lot of the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and so yeah. any anything that you can give them to remind them of something is is definitely a good thing. I think so. As long as it's within the laws, I've got no problem with it. Do you know, um, I remember once. Um, <laughs> I remember once playing a forty over game. Shows how long ago it was. And uh, it was Duckworth Lewis. It was a rain affected game, and the batting pair came out. I think it was Worcestershire we were playing. It was either Worcestershire or Lancashire, and one of the batsmen. It was um, Steve O'Shaughnessy. He came out to bat with the Duckworth Lewis different scores printed on the back of his bat, stuck with cello tape. So the different levels, because obviously in those days we didn't have scoreboards with electronic um, additions that could uh, that could help you. I mean, I know you've been quite uh, sort of public in saying that perhaps the, the public at large don't always give the, the, the right amount of credibility to all this data and are sort of potentially a bit fed up with it, are they? And yet what you're saying is in a way it should be regarded with even more importance. Definitely. Um, I don't think that cricket has even come close to, to reaching a plateau in terms of the impact that data can have. Like I said earlier, I think a lot of teams view it as a, as a tick box exercise. And I don't think that a lot of people, even in the game, understand what's good and what's bad. So I won't, I won't name the commentators, but there was one commentator in this week's 100, one of the games this week in the 100, and, and they said player X is a great death bowler. Well, immediately from that, I got a text from, from a coach saying, is he really a good death bowler? And I replied back and said, no, he goes over 11s at the death. So so that's a... Good for the batting side then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and, and then there was another instance where a commentator said, oh, this team have, have batted poorly in their first innings. They've, they've scored 26 dots. That's, that's terrible. And actually, 26 dots in a 100-ball game is about as good as you'll ever find. So, you know, that would have been in the top percentiles of last season's data for sure. So, and, and, that's, and that's someone who you would think would, you would hope you would know better than that. But, and ultimately, the stats that they're saying on TV wrongly influence people's opinion on the game. And because they come from, obviously, high-profile ex-players or whatever, people treat them as gospel, and actually they're not. I've, I've been down a rabbit hole this week, actually, Dan. And I, I've, uh, I've done expected runs for a number of players uh, in the 100, just out of interest. And uh, I, I don't know whether the, the metrics I'm using are quite right, but it's that roughly related to strike rate measured against loss of wickets per ball or something. And uh, interestingly, the man who comes highest in expected runs in my list of about 40 players, uh, most of the prominent players in the 100, the man who comes top is a man in your team. But it's not Moen Ali and it's not Liam Livingston. Have you got any idea who it might be? Would it be Will Smead? No. Chris Benjamin. Chris Benjamin is the answer. Chris Benjamin, who's had a very short career so far and uh, has had a pretty exciting career and I suppose is in a way perhaps flattered by a small sample size. Mm. But he's done very, very well against high-quality players as well. I mean, he's a super exciting talent. So, yeah, it's, I, knew, I knew that he was average. If you use like, the old Basra measurement if you like that sometimes they wheel out on tv batting average 
and strike rate added. I think his Basra is like 190 or something like that, which is super high. So it doesn't surprise me. I, I'm afraid I'm 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 uh, sort of partly responsible for that for that metric, which I realise it's probably about 10 years ago, and it was the closest I could get to some kind of meaningful stat that wasn't. You, I mean, when you talk about a player's average in T20, it's almost meaningless because very few of them are sort of more than about 26. So it, it, it sort of, it doesn't sound much really, does it? And then strike rates can be 220 for someone who only scores, you know, 10 runs per season or something. So uh, it, it, it's all a bit skewed. And I was trying to find a, a, a usable metric to evaluate players, but things have moved on a bit. Yes, I think from a recruitment perspective, definitely. The, th- the thing with Basra is that... Basra? So why is it called Basra? Batting average strike rate added. Right, thank you. I thought you were talking about a Middle Eastern city, actually, there. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so, for example, like a, a 30, 130 player, 30 average, 130 strike rate, whatever, Basra of 160. But that's obviously different to someone who's... I don't know, uh, fifteen and one four five, for example, but it's still the still the same Basra, but a completely different type of player. Well, I was going to say, we, I was going to say, we could talk about this forever and ever and ever, but it's 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 actually getting quite late, and Dan's got a game tomorrow. It's not till um, six thirty. What are you worried about? Plus, well, he said that, he's that, done all his work already. Anyway, he's got a busman's holiday that, tomorrow. <laughs> so, do you, so that's just finally, Dan. When you're watching games, are you are you really nervous watching your team play, or you you can actually just sit back and 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 relax, and you've done you've done all your work, and it's up it's up to them to perform. Now you've sort of done your You've done your side of it. It's up to them. You give you give it over to them. I think I've evolved in that, Simon. To be honest with you, so when I when I first started, I would get very nervous. I used to feel ill before games and stuff like that. But I think as I've done more and more and more, particularly in the dugout environment, I, I've kind of just rationalised in my head now that once the players go on the pitch, there's very very little that you can do to change it. Yeah, you might be able to, to do a, a couple of little things or do what Nathan Lehman's done with the, the numbers, for example. But but on the whole, it's then down to them. And if you've prepared well, then that's all you can really do. And and so I've kind of got my peace with the fact that once the the players go on the pitch, there's no point in getting frustrated. You may as well just stay calm. And uh, it's kind of better for my energies and my mental health sometimes, I suppose. Simon, what would be your Basra, do you reckon, with the bat? About, <laughs> about 12 or something? No, I think my Basra would be well, but low low strike rate, definitely a low strike rate. I don't think you had a strike rate, rate, did you? At all? <laughs> you don't want you don't want to be getting out, do you? You can't score runs in the pavilion. You got have, so low low strike rate. I don't I don't know. Fifteen. Forty five. Forty five. You've got to hit well, a few average, off the square well. to get it to forty five. No, but it's average. It's average in strike yeah. rate. I mean, it's, yeah. Yeah. so it's a few singles. Isn't it? Forty average, five strike rate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, about right, yeah. yeah. Not 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 made for T twenty or, or certainly not made for T ten or the hundred. I'm, I'm so sorry we didn't have this stuff around actually <laughs> when I was playing because I'd, I'd be fascinated. Certainly not. Don't remotely want to know what my batting strike rate was, but I'd be interested to know you know about bowling kind of patterns and matchups and stuff like that actually, and who I should have really been bowling at instead of Steve Waugh or Viv Richards. Which always always draw the, <laughs> drew the short straw. Um, anyway, listen, f- fascinating. Now, where can we uh, read your uh, your literary offerings, Dan? 
So I'm on Twitter at SA Advantage and you can read my Substack. Um, there's quite a lot of posts on there, so it might take a while. Danweston.substack.com. And there's lots of sort of insight there. So uh, worth worth following up, eh, Simon? Definitely. Yeah, no, I, I, I follow Dan. It's an interesting time. I, I like, you know, I like all sorts of different opinions. Um, I don't, you know, I, I think the hardest thing is, just, which I find, is just struggle to know which opinion to listen to which opinion to trust you know and it's 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 trying to it's trying to sift through everything actually and trying to get that sort of that synthesis and and then there's another part of me which sometimes it just goes to the game and just thinks oh just enjoy it just go there and enjoy the game enjoy the six hitting enjoy the wickets the runs the catches the crowd the atmosphere um, and you know certainly in the test matches this summer it's been like that hasn't it I mean it's it's almost defied I mean is it defied your expectation Dan what's ha- what's happened this summer in test cricket yeah in two ways one is the results obviously i don't think anyone expected england to win all those matches but two the brand and the 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 changing changing style has been has been superb and 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 i understand from the players that they really really enjoying the environment right now so that's that's great to see um yeah credit to 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 brendan mccullum and ben stokes for for that quick turnaround definitely and yeah, it's been. You mentioned about enjoying the game, though. It is tough for me to go to a match or watch a match on TV or go even go to a match live and and just completely lose myself in the game, which perhaps I would have done a few years ago. Mm. Uh, now I, I, I hear myself going to my wife. He shouldn't be bowling to him or something <laughs> like that. You know, yeah. <laughs> it does happen a lot. Actually, I was at Lords last night for the hundred, and uh, I saw a couple of players turn the clock back. Actually. Karen Pollard launched a couple into the pavilion and I think he's hit something ridiculous like 700 sixes in T20 cricket, second to Chris Gale. And uh, Owen Morgan, actually, a little bit of a cameo from him last night as well. But it's funny, isn't it? When you watch a 100 game or a T20 game and one team wins by about 80 runs, actually, you know, talking of stats, I thought the, the, the event organisers, whoever they were, uh, hired by Lords, uh, th- at one point they made the grave error of putting up on the big screen win predictor, London Spirit 100%, Manchester Original 0, and not surprisingly the ground started to empty and there was still about half an hour's play to go. So <laughs> I think you know Manchester were about sort of 70 for 7 at the time. But that's one, one time when data doesn't help the cause really. I'm not sure I always agree with the win predictor either. No, well, and and I want to. I want your prediction from to, for tomorrow then. Birmingham against uh, against Southern Brave. I know Birmingham is your team. What's your prediction? Well, I've got I've got to be in favour of my boys. Obviously, can't can't see any other way. Got to get revenge on the final from last year as well. Okay, well, we'll hold you to that. <laughs> Thanks for your time, anyway, and good luck with uh, with everything. It's been fascinating to talk to you. Um, I've got uh, an interesting little uh, assignment myself. The later in the week, uh, joining up with all my former Durham colleagues in Durham to watch a, a Royal London Cup game because it's thirty years since Durham was founded as a first class county, and we're going to get the whole first team apart from Dean Jones, who of course sadly passed away. We're going to get pretty much the first. 11 that played in that first class debut match in 1992 together so uh, looking forward to that I'll report back from that on the next podcast hopefully get an interview with the big man himself Beefy Botham and uh, the other uh, underlings that uh, played in that team 
But in the meantime, Dan Weston and Simon Man, of course, thanks a lot. And uh, thanks for listening to you. Podcast Network.